So as you, as you well know, if you've been around here a little bit, uh, I've been traveling a lot. And, uh, you know, people always ask me questions about food. How is the food there, they often ask. In a lot of places, it's really great. Some places, not as great. But one thing I have found consistently is that wherever I've gone outside the United States, that one thing that is always good is amazing bread. Everywhere you go, like you can turn, you go to walk outside your hotel door, and there you find amazing bread. And then you come back to the United States, and you got to think, some of these people, foreigners are going to come here, they're going to look what we have for bread, and I've actually heard them say things like this, why do you spend your money for what is not bread? (laughs) Wonder bread. It's a wonder, we call it bread, right? Um, this is, when you compare it to what is available in other countries, it's truly astonishing. And so that phrase is taken, of course, from this passage. It says, why do you spend your money with not bread? But uh, what is not bread? But of course, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about literal physical bread, um, though that might be a good question to ask yourself. Um, but he's, at, he's talking about what you might say, food for the soul, food for our inmost being, the things we really need in our hearts and minds and souls. And because you see that while we're, we're hungry people and we always need more food, we also need things that fill up our souls, that satisfy us, that meet some of our, meet some of our deepest needs. And what this passage talks about is the fact that human beings tend to fill up their souls with almost anything they can. God gives us and all kinds of good things, and we want it to satisfy every longing. He gives us a little bit of money, and we want to rely on it. He gives us a job, and we, make, and, and we become workaholics. He, he gives us a spouse, and then all of a sudden that spouse is the one who will meet every needs. He gives us kids a good gift, and all of a sudden we have all these expectations of all these things they're going to do for us. He gets us go on vacation, and we have all these things. Now, finally, I will be able to do all the things I wanted to do. And the thing about all those things is when we press them too hard, they can't really satisfy us. And we all have had that experience. We have these expectations, and then they can't, they can't be met. You see, what we're, we're, looking for, we're looking for love in our lives. And it's great when we experience the love of people. But then there's other times where we feel lonely. Even if you're, even if you're in a house full of people, you can feel lonely at times. Even if you're in a crowd, you can feel lonely. You may have you may have money in your in your bank account and you feel like oh now I'm secure, but then what happens when all that money, as it tends to do, flies out the door? Then now you feel like oh I don't know if I'm going to make it. You may feel like you're accomplishing some things, so you have some value in life, but then all of a sudden uh, you're not able to do the things that you were able to do before. You find yourself out of a job. You find yourself losing that opportunity. Then all of a sudden, where's your meaning in life? You may rest on your physical beauty, and people may praise you for it. But then what happens? It becomes harder to keep that as we get older, right? Not here, but um, not here amongst this group, but, um, but sometimes. So. But here's the thing. What this passage also tells us is that there's a better way. There is a food that really satisfies us. We're really hungry people, and there is good news There is something that can satisfy our souls. There is a love that can meet our deepest longings. There is a security that we can have that is far greater than our bank accounts. 
There is a meaning and purpose that is based on the very nature of reality. There is, there is a value that God puts on us that cannot be taken away. And that is, of course, in God himself. He's the one that says, come to me and you'll find your meaning, you'll find your value, you'll find your security in an endless, in an endless way that will fully satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. The uh, theologian Augustine in the, in the 5th century was one who, who found a lot of the things that we would take to satisfy our souls. He, he got fame. He was praised by many. He, he had many accomplishments. He was able to teach. He had, uh, was able to experience a lot of the good things of life in the Roman Empire. He had many pleasures. He had many friends. But what he found is that his heart was still restless. And so he wrote his autobiography, which is called The Confessions, became one of the great classics of world literature. And he began it saying that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you, O Lord. He said, also, let my soul praise you, that it may love you, and let it confess your own mercies to you, that it may praise you. There is refreshment. And true strength. The fact is, we are a very, very hungry people. The eye of man is never satisfied, as as Solomon said. But what we see here is that there is something that will satisfy. There is something that will meet our deepest longings. And that is in God himself. But how are we going to eat God, so to speak, using the metaphor? How do we eat God? We might wonder, it's like, how do we even connect with God? When we think about God, we're talking about a being who's infinitely above us, who has infinite knowledge, who knows everything from the beginning to the end. How can we have a relationship with him? How can we have a connection with him? It's like trying to imagine having a real connection with an ant. Not like your aunt and uncle, but like the insect um, what kind of relationship are you going to have with an ant? It's such a huge distance. And so take that in reverse and say, how are we going to have a relationship with God? Well, one, one thing the Bible tells us is that, and we know from our experience, is that God has revealed himself how? In what he has done. We can know each other from the things that we do, and we know the, things of the, we know the Lord through the things that he has done. We look out into the world, and we see the amazing wonders that he had made, the expanse of the universe. Last night, uh, one of our, at our men's meeting, one of the guys was praying about medicine and the, mod of, uh, the marvel of modern medicine. But that is because there's structures within us that function and work well and have a design that we can actually discover and learn about that are complex that we, can be, we really can't even imitate. This all points us back to God as our creator. But then he's also revealed himself in his word, that he's actually spoken to us. That all these, the Bible, as the scriptures, is not given by, just by people who wrote them, but the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, led people to say exactly what God wanted him to say so that we could know him. But then, beyond that, God himself actually became a human being. The second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, became a human being, And so that we can know God as a human being and connect to him as a human. So we have all these ways in which God has come down to meet us and connect with us. 
He wants to connect with us. We should see from that. But there's a bigger problem besides just the difficulty of knowing God. And that problem is that we've done things and we've become things and been things and, and still are things that are not what God wants. That we have, as the Bible uses the word, sinned against him. We've not been what we ought to be. We've not done what we ought to be. We've not become what we should have become. Instead, we've been put on different trajectories that are opposed to God. And these are the sorts of things. We don't even know probably the extent of it. But we also know, like for all of us, we have these things in our hearts and lives that we've done, that we know are wrong, that cause us pain when we even think about them in the past, hurts that we've caused to other people, uh, misuse we've made of ourselves and others, ways we've neglected things that we should have been done. And these are the things that we wouldn't want to mention in front of anybody else, let alone in front of the God of the universe. So, so we have this shame, this sense of sin that keeps us from coming to God. But so what are we going to do? Well, that's why the Lord comes to us and he says, basically, wherever you are, whatever you've done, however much shame you feel, however badly you've treated others, however bad the things you've done have been, however many mistakes you've made, however many times you've failed, however many times you've gone off the rails, however weak you are, come without any price. Come without any money. Come freely. You can, you can just take what you need from me, God says. You don't have to have anything. You, don't have to, you just have to want it and say, Lord, that's what I need. Give it to me and he'll give it. That is the message that is given here. Listen to these words again. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, you have nothing to give to the Lord. Come buy and eat, even though you don't have money. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your labor and what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare, the best food. So what he's saying is, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can have the best food for free. And the best food, of course, is God himself and everything he wants to give to us. He is the one who will connect with us. He will the one who will give himself to us. And he is the one who will help us. He will aid us. He will give us strength. He'll give us meaning. He'll give us purpose. He'll give us value. He'll guard us. He'll watch over us. And he'll lead us, not only in this life, but forever, to be with him in joy and blessedness. And even if he brings us through trials, he'll be with us and he'll use them to make us the people that we ought to be. That's what God offers to us freely. That is the message of our faith. That is the heart of our faith. That, that God says to the peoples of this earth that anyone who wants to can come to him freely, without money, without price, and you can have a relationship with him that will last forever and in which he will bless us with every blessing that we not only have not earned, but that we have positively demerited. We deserve the opposite. That is the message of our faith. You see, and that is the message you'll find all throughout the Bible. And you will find it, you will find it in, for example, in the, one of the most common verses, most well-known, John 3.16. Where, where it is said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him 
Just trusting in him, you'll have everlasting life, abundant life, everything that you need. He says it, he says it in John chapter 6, where Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Whoever comes to me and eats will have life forever. It is what the apostles announced when they said that there is that when they spoke to the people who had actually said a few days earlier, we want to kill Jesus. He says, just say you're sorry and come back. You'll be forgiven and you'll be empowered and you'll be part of God's plan to do great things in the world. It's what the Apostle Paul wrote about so clearly in his book, uh, his letter to the Roman church, where he said that the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, which we'll look at at the end of the month. And you can see, though, that this... This is, though, not something that's just taught in the New Testament after Jesus had come, but it's also in the Old Testament. And it's right here that it says, simply seek the Lord while he may be found. Turn away from where you've been. Come back to the Lord and you can come freely. And that's why, uh, let me read a little passage from a commentator. I put it in the notes if you want to follow along. It's by Albert Barnes, who is a Presbyterian commentator. He wrote on the whole Bible. I recommend his commentaries. You can find them for free online. And he said this, While this precious chapter, Isaiah 55, remains in the book of God, no sinner need despair of salvation who is disposed to return to him. No one can plead that he is too great a sinner to be saved. No one can maintain successfully that the provisions of mercy are limited in their nature or their applicability to any portion of the race. And no minister of the gospel need be desponding about the success of the work in which he is engaged. And so that is a beautiful passage, one I recommend to you. But let me give you a few examples of people who have discovered the truth that we're talking about here. One of them is, is well-known, especially in this area, is Billy Graham. Um, and what led him to go all over the world preaching the gospel? Because he believed that wherever people had been, they could come back to God freely. And even if they didn't know anything about Jesus this morning, they could find out about him, come to him, and then they'd be saved forever. That is what he went and preached. He says this. He says, you don't have to know much when you come to Christ. You don't have to know the whole gospel. You don't have to know the Bible. You just come like you are. That's what he said, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1993. And it's interesting, um, one one person here, I think, particularly got that. The many, of course, were filled with people who've understood the gospel, and we need to come back to as we'll talk about. But one I just didn't, we introduced to you, who many of you, of course, know, is Steve Cup. And Steve Cup uh, shared his uh, his testimony with the session, and um, I asked him if he would like to share his testimony this morning about it. But uh, he said, uh, "No, but you can talk about it if you want." So I just thought it was an interesting connection because I just want to talk to you about the first part of it. And that is that um, basically he didn't go to church that much. Um, they had had some tough uh, experiences with the church. Um, but he did get a few samples of church. And he remembers sitting on his dad's lap listening to Billy Graham. So he heard this message. And uh, when he was 17, he went into the Marine Corps. And, and one of the things you do while you're at boot camp is you look for any opportunity to take a break. So where were you going to go? Sunday morning, you can go to church, right? And then you can sit there and take a break. 
And they had, they had two directions, Protestant or Catholic. And he said, well, I guess I'm Protestant. So he went to the Protestant. And there he actually began hearing this message. And he finally got what was being said about Jesus. And he says, okay, that's what I want. And he came and the Lord has brought him back to himself. And he's still living in relationship with him by God's grace to this day. So that's the sort of thing that happened. And you can hear stories about that. Ask people what their experience is like. Going back in history, we see the experience of Martin Luther, who started what's called the Protestant Reformation. And it was a, a, a desire to, that's where Protestant comes from, it's a desire to reform the church and to make it, bring it back to some, some of the patterns of Scripture. But what happened to Martin Luther was that he thought that in order to get back with God, he had to do a lot of works. That he couldn't come freely without money and without price. He had to bring a lot to the table. And so he did all kinds of things. He fasted day and night. He beat himself. He went to Rome. He prayed constantly. He tried to do everything. And he realized he felt farther from God than ever. And then he, he, was, a, he was also a teacher of theology, even while he was doing this. And then he started teaching on the book of Romans. And it said, the just shall live by faith. In other words, you get life as a free gift. That's how we're righteous. That's how we have life. And it's a, it's a gift that is given by faith, which is in accord with what Paul says there in Romans. And he said the heavens opened for him. And he realized that it wasn't by his works, but that it was by God's gift that he was able to come to him. And the world has been radically transformed because of what God did to open up the eyes of Martin Luther. And so it is that it comes down to us today. Now, so what we have here in this passage is a beautiful expression of the free gift of God. And so wherever you are, you shouldn't despair of coming unto him. The way is open. It's free. But even though it's free, we need to notice that there is a cost for us to come freely. If you go back two chapters to Isaiah 53 you will see a description of that cost. In verse 5 and 6 of Isaiah 53, two chapters back, speaks of someone who experienced the cost of sin. But notice, so it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, to come back to God, there is a price to be paid. It is, we have to be accountable for the things that we have done. There is a cost to our rebellion against God, our turning away from him, like as we all have. But what this passage says is that there is someone who comes and pays that cost for us. He doesn't suffer for his own sins. He suffers for the sins of others. He's a substitute for other people. And of course, um, as, as, as we know, that is our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the cross is all about. He is the one who has not committed any wrong. No deceit was found in his mouth, as Isaiah says. 
And instead, but he suffers. Why? Not for his own sin, but for the sins of other people. Why does he do this? Because God's justice demands that punishment, that sin must be punished, so his holiness will be preserved. But his goodness says he'll give us a substitute so that Jesus pays everything, and then we get everything. That's the great message of the Bible. Jesus pays everything, and we get everything. But the amazing thing about Isaiah 53, and I encourage you to read it maybe several times during this month, is that it speaks so clearly of the substitute who takes our sin upon himself and deals with all of its consequences. But it was written 700 years before Jesus ever came into the world. It is a clear statement, as you'll find. You will not find almost a statement that is more clear in the New Testament about what Jesus has done for us, but you find it there in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, 700 years before Jesus came. It is the good news. It is God makes a covenant, a new relationship with us that lasts forever because of David. And why does he say David? Not because King David in the Old Testament, but because of David, who is the descendant, the descendant of David, rather, who is Jesus himself, who's called the son of David. In him, that covenant is established, and in him, we have a new relationship with God. And that is the gospel, the good news that we have to share with everybody. So let me just conclude by just uh, making five quick points. So, and when I say quick, they are quick, okay? Don't despair. (laughs) So the first thing is that we have to ask ourselves, have we accepted that free gift? So God says, here, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to give you everything. I want to be in a relationship with you where I'll take care of your deepest longings. Have you accepted that? Or are you still sitting out on the side? If you haven't accepted that or you have some doubts about that, I encourage you to come talk to me today or one of our elders and uh, get that clear in your mind to say, yes, I am in that covenant with God. But secondly, uh, we need to proclaim it. So this is a great treasure that God says he has for us. But if people don't know about it, they can't accept it. And so we've got to tell them about the treasure. So that's the thing. Keep in mind always this passage and say it is available for all the people you're going to meet today. Third, it's not just for, this passage is not for just those who haven't received the gift It's for those who have received the gift. It's for us as Christians. Why? Because um, even since we've become Christians, we've not become all that we're supposed to be. There's much left in us that does not align with God. We've done many things wrong, sometimes some really big things wrong. And we can feel the weight of the shame of that. And what God says to us, Also, not just to those outside the church, but those who are inside the church, you don't have to let that keep you from coming. Come to me freely, and I will give you everything that you need. But we also need to let it be a cause of self-examination. Because why, why do we not receive what the Lord is giving us? Because we're often looking for bread that does not satisfy So one of the things in order to enable us to receive the gift that God has for us for free is to ask, where are we trying to fill our souls with things that really can't satisfy us? When are we not taking in 
the gift that God has for us. And then finally, we need to let this be at the center of our church. Like this is the, this is the, the heart of the church of Jesus Christ. This call that goes out to come freely. And it needs to shape everything. We can't let any other point, even if it's in the Bible, even if it's important, even if it's a a law of God, become the center of the church other than the simple gospel message that those who have nothing can come freely and receive everything because of what Jesus has done. We always need to go back to that. And And it's so easy to let other things come in, even as churches, that become sort of the focus. But we've got to come back to that again and again. That's one reason I'm doing this series. To remind us, again, that this is what we're all about. That this is what we need to live out of. That this is what the people that we're going to meet today need to live out of. That this is the gift for our kids. That this is the gift for the families we'll spend time with this Easter. That this is the gift for our neighbors. That this is the gift for all people. It's the gift for every single person in this community and for the entire world. That anybody can come, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad your past is, no matter how much you struggle, and take the bread of life freely. That's the heart of God's word. It's his heart for you and for me. Let's keep it there for ourselves, for our church, for our families, for our people, by his grace. Amen.